Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and across the table, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer with me again. Rick, it's good to see you. It's good to see you as we finish out our statement of faith. This is true. Um, this is so true. It's kind of been a long journey. It feels like it has been. A musical journey. Yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> From the concert uh, documentary, Rattle and Hum, U2. I think it was like 1988. Yeah, I wasn't born. There was then. a... <laughs> Does not make any sense? <laughs> As I'm saying it, is there a way to redo this intro? <laughs> it's a musical journey. Yeah. Well, How are you? I'm, well, I'm good. I'm good. I got out. Uh, I was able to go into uh, nature this morning. Uh, and it was it was really nice to be out. Cool. Uh, so, I'm doing really well. I'm doing Where'd really you well. go? Because I was out in nature yesterday. Yeah. Mowed my yard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> people's perspective of nature is different, I guess. Um, I went up. There's a spot up, kind of by Whistling Jacks. Mm. That's a that's a regular spot for me. Um, and so, uh, I went up with with Dennis dentist this morning and cool and it was nice and relaxing and yeah it was good nice so that's really good fellowship and creation speaking of creation i heard that there's me a new creation i heard that that's that's true where did we hear that from probably the bible the bible pastor john's on sabbatical he's and yet he's very much here we're (laughs) Uh, the bible Uh, yes. So John will not be on the podcast for the next like three months, three months. Wow. So it's, you're going to have to bear with us. As what are we going to be doing? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I do know. Um, if, if people have questions, not just pertaining to eschatology, but just to anything in, in life at all, at all, um, you can email me and Rick and ask us that question, and we'll we'll try to address it on the podcast next week. Next week, only next week. Oh, only next week. Yeah, it's not for the whole summer. Yeah, because we're going to be doing the topics from yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. This is true. So, like the first one is going to be about anger. Yeah, um, oh, it'll be that's going to be rough. Yeah, that is going to be rough. <laughs> and after the sermon, we'll have more of an informal podcast discussion on anger yeah. and look at some applications and just things we aren't able to do necessarily in an expository context. It's going to get real personal it's real gonna fast. It's going to be very personal for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But next so, week, we got th- that Q&A. Yeah. So if you have a question, please send it to us. Because Quickly. Because next, next podcast will be really awkward. It will be. <laughs> I'll make sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be bringing the questions. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's going to hate it. Yeah. But today we're going to finish out our statement of faith, and we're going to be looking particularly at the millennial reign of Christ, his mm. return, his his reign, uh, the great white judgment, and then eternity. So Just a little bit. That's, a little, little bit to cover. That's a, just a snippet. It's like a, a lot of years to cover. So... <laughs> So that's what we're talking about. Um, we finished up with the tribulation last week. Tribulation yeah. happens. So tribulation happens seven years, right? We discussed that. From, from Daniel. From Daniel. Nine. So seven years of tribulation take place, and then then what happens, Rick? There, um, well, so 
remember we talked about Revelation having a sequential order to it. You know, there are different ways that faithful expositors will read Revelation. Not all of them read it sequentially, um, but we don't, according to our statement of faith and our hermeneutical approach to Scripture, we believe that that would not be accurate. Yeah. You can still be a faithful Orthodox uh, pastor, teacher, Christian, not read Revelation sequentially, but we believe that's not accurate. Um, so we, we, we think there's evidence within the book itself that requires us to see it as a sequence of events. In the, in the majority of it, chapters 6 through 19 are dealing with that time of tribulation hmm. and what will happen during that. Um, and then we get to Revelation 19 and we see the return of Christ. So that's what's going to happen. You know, and Jesus talks about this in, in the same sequence in Matthew 24. He talks about the, the judgments that will come upon the earth in that time of tribulation. And then midway through that, the Antichrist setting up himself as God in the temple. And then for the next three and a half years, things get especially bad. Mm-hmm. And then it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will come on the clouds. You'll see the sign of the Son of Man in, in the air. And, yeah. and that's exactly what we see happening in Revelation 19. It, the heavens open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Mm-hmm. And so we have the return of Jesus coming um, out of the clouds and bringing judgment on the earth, gathering to himself the elect who believe during the tribulation time, um, and then casting away in judgment into hell um, unbelievers. Actually, do you want to read our statement of faith? Um, that paragraph on that? Uh, Just the top paragraph there. The top paragraph. Yeah, that kind of lays out what we believe will be happening there. Yeah. So uh, regarding the second coming, it says, we teach that after the tribulation period, Christ will come to earth to occupy the throne of David and establish his messianic kingdom. I can't read this. Uh, Messianic kingdom for a thousand years on the earth. During this time, the resurrected saints will reign with him over Israel and all the nations of the earth. This reign will be preceded by the overthrow of the Antichrist and the false prophet and by the removal of Satan from the world. Well, there you go. So Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation. and He sets up um, his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years in Jerusalem. We get that from a number of other texts. Um, in the Old Testament especially. Okay. And he's going to reign for a thousand years. So, Satan is cast into the pit, into the into the abyss. Okay. So you know, Revelation 19, 11 through 21 describes what will happen in that Armageddon battle where Jesus comes back and destroys the wicked of the earth. Yeah. Um, and then, so there's a time marker, you know, that, that hook that we talked about being in the book of Revelation at many points. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. 
Also, I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. That's where we get the millennium. That's pretty good. Uh, Yeah, I like it. (laughs) So, okay, so is Satan, is, does Satan currently dwell in hell right now? No. So he's, he's doing what? Peter says he's Roman around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people okay he is opposed to all that god is doing he's trying to undermine the faith of the elect he's out to harm the church and to keep people from knowing christ yeah so i i think that's a common misunderstanding is is the idea that satan is currently just like reigning in hell and and he's he's there that's his domain Hmm. um yeah but it seems that he's from the bible from the bible (laughs) From the Bible, huh. <laughs> um, he's he's roaming, he's dwelling. You know, Job oh, is yeah. Job is a, a perfect example of that. Um, Where he so, even has access to heaven. Yeah, yeah. And so hell hell is is not until Christ returns, right? Well, that's what. So when Christ returns, Satan is thrown into the abyss, yeah. this pit, this particular place that's f- where some demons currently reside. In Revelation, we see that there are some very nasty demons, particularly nasty demons that are mm-hmm. released from that pit for a time yeah. during the tribulation. Yeah. And that tells us that while they're there, they don't have access to the earth. Yeah. And so, and which, by the way, is one of the reasons we disagree with post-millennialists and amillennialists who believe that the millennium is the whole of the church age. Currently, we're mm-hmm. 2,000 years into the millennium. Mm-hmm which would at this point be a 2,000-year, 1,000-year reign of Christ. (laughs) And they say that Satan being bound means that the nations will be brought to Christ Mm -hmm. and that Satan can't thwart that. The problem with that is the location of Satan, Satan's binding, is the pit, which is a theological term for this place where demons, when they're there, they're not here. And so since Satan is here, we know he's not bound not in the way that Revelation is twenty has has said. Yeah. So he's yeah. currently roaming. He's roaming. So Christ Christ sets up his his throne, and there's a thousand years of peace, world peace, man. So what what's what's taking place? Oh, here, let's go to the question that was asked of us. Ooh, well, <laughs> okay. Should, should we get yeah, or should yeah, we wait? Yeah. Should we wait? Well, we no, let's do it. Okay, so we and did, then we'll talk about some other things about we'll the millennium. Talk, we'll talk about some other things. So we did have somebody email us and ask us a question. Thank you for doing that. Uh, it means first of all that people listen, yeah, um, and that they heed the call. You know who you are. You know who we you are, are grateful. <laughs> uh, so the question is, what do you think it will be like living during the millennium? Will it mean that we will still be driving cars, flying on airplanes, having a job, going to stores? How do you think it's going to be during during the time? Hmm. Yeah, I want to be I want to be flying a Millennium Falcon. That's what I want. To do. <laughs> if that's the case, 
That's what I want. <laughs> I'm going to change my name to Han Solo. <laughs> Is that the secret name that's going to be written on your forehead that nobody but you know? Is that... Is that the white stone yeah. that you're given? <laughs> Han Solo. <laughs> oh, George Lucas. Yeah. I thought he was a young man. Yeah. Um, no, that's a man. That's a great question, right? Well, we know we're going to get into some descriptions from Scripture about what the millennium will be like. Okay. But as far as the technological innovations that we currently enjoy and what they'll be like in the millennium, um, so we know that the millennium is not the recreation. Right, so it's not the eternal state, mm-hmm. and we know that because the descriptions of the millennium are, you know, in the Old Testament are such that they don't fit the eternal state. There are still things happening during the millennium that won't happen for eternity, mm-hmm. such as children being born, growing old, dying. That that doesn't exist during the eternal state. You know, we talked two weeks ago about children of saints who come to faith during the tribulation and Mm -hmm. then enter into the millennial kingdom they still are not glorified yet they still Mm -hmm. have a sin nature they're still able to marry reproduce and their children are able to marry reproduce and they have a sin nature and that's where Mm -hmm. at the end of the millennium when it says that satan will deceive the nations um that's where the the rebellion is going to come from from the descendants of those people yeah who even though jesus is here on earth still yet will not bow the knee to him which is mind-boggling but it you know is it yeah, yeah. the uh, the anyways that's a whole different podcast right there it's 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 very conceivable because yeah. human nature is such right um but there's a continuity right so the culture mandate back in Genesis 1 to fill the earth have dominion subdue it rule over it as God's vice regents, as it were, um, to go create culture that has been being fulfilled for the past 6,000 years, mm-hmm. the whole time that the earth has had people on it. Um, we see in Genesis 4 the advancement of technology through some of Cain's descendants with making tools. Another guy makes weapons. Another guy makes instruments. And te- Noah, the technology that was accessible to him, we don't even know what it was like. We had this idea that it was just primitive. Yeah. But, you know, that was a lot closer to Eden with a lot less uh, generations of corruption, Yeah. right? Yeah. Even though things were really, really bad at that point, they were smart people. And so there's no nothing in Scripture that would indicate that we're going to go backward in technology. So I'd say, will we be driving cars and flying planes? At a bare minimum, probably. Um, who knows what kind of tech will be sporting then? Yeah. You know, I mean, just the what God has given us the ability to do with the resources that He has created. We haven't, we have not mined the depths of God's glories and blessings to us in creation. Mm. I'm going to think that the tech that we'll be enjoying during the millennium is going to be stuff that we couldn't imagine right now. It's going to be so good. I know what I'm going to be flying. The Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yes, this has been established. <laughs> yeah, and working, that was something that was ordained by God as a blessing for us pre-fall. So, so culture so is going to keep being built. So we're going to be we're going to be working when we Yeah. Okay. It's going to be it's going to be Do I have to work with you? Amazing. Do you, uh, rephrase. <laughs> 
do you get to work with me? <laughs> if you thought it was good now. Like I said, we haven't even begun yeah. to plumb the, the depths of the glories that God has given us. <laughs> so all that to say, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so life's gonna be really good. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, no. Why don't you? Why don't you read a passage about the millennium? How about? How about? I don't know. Isaiah eleven six through nine, or what do you have? What are you open to? Well, I was open to Revelation. Revelation, but I'll go to Isaiah. And while you're getting there, we actually do believe it's going to be an actual thousand years. Um, which is another thing that comes up when we talk eschatology. Um, other views, post-millennialism, um, millennialism, think that it's not actually a thousand years, that a thousand is symbolic for a very long period of time. Uh, we do not believe that for a few reasons, one of which is that, you know, and I looked at all the times that the, the phrase a thousand years is used in scripture. Most of them are from Revelation 20. A couple other times are Second Peter and Psalms, where a thousand years is like a day in your sight, and a day is like a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Even in that, it's not used symbolically. Mm-hmm. It actually means a thousand years. In your day, O Lord, is like, you know, is like a day. Um, there's nothing in the text that gives us greater clarity for what the meaning is, or compelling reason to take it as symbolic because that's not part of an established precedent. Just because Revelation sometimes uses symbolic language doesn't mean that that's what it's doing mostly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We gain nothing interpretationally by seeing it as anything other than what the text actually says. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, is a, a hallmark for how you know that something may be symbolic. Is, you know, this is God's revelation that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He actually means to communicate something and for us to understand it. If, if things become more obscure by understanding them symbolically, they're probably not symbolic. Yeah. So we actually believe it's going to be a thousand years. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, Isaiah you, 11 is, I, Isaiah 11. is one of the said. passages that's going to answer this person's question about what's it going to be like. Six through... Six through seven. Like 11. 11. Okay. That's so much reading. <laughs> Okay. You go to college. <laughs> uh, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the shepherd or the leopard shall Reading's lie. Th- hard. Yeah, it is. It's so hard. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze; their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the seas cover the sea, as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand in the as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Man, 
So if you had to put take one word to describe kind of everything you just read, what word, what's the tone of that passage? Peace. Peace. It's going to be a time of unparalleled peace. <clears throat> it's going to be a time, and we know, by the way, because someone might object that, well, this is talking about Christ coming, yes, but like look back at verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and they'll say, well, Jesus came, and it says he grew in, in wisdom and in stature and the favor with God and man, and the spirit was upon him. So yeah. how do you know it's talking about his second coming? Well, look at the context. In verse 4, it says, With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And if we actually take the prophet at his word, it's going to happen. And if it hasn't happened yet, what does that leave us with? It's going to happen mm-hmm. in the future. Which is another thing, when it comes to talking eschatology from the prophets, people will always say, well, the prophets are, you know, it's poetic language. Yeah, it often is. But just like real poetry, why does that also mean it's not real? Mm -hmm. You know, poetic language is a way of expressing the truth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't alter the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, and this, this is the kind of language that we hear in Psalm 2, Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and his wrath fall on you. Kings of the earth, be wise. Yeah. You know, a day is coming where Jesus is coming back. He actually is going to kill the wicked yeah. with the breath of his mouth. Yeah. Revelation 19 talks about his coming back and what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so we know this is this is a future reign of Christ. And, it's, and that throne that he's setting up is the throne of David over Israel. Yeah. A physical throne with a physical descendant physically reigning. Yeah. He's reigning at the right hand of the Father now, spiritually. This kingdom is an earthly kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it's a time of, of peace. So that's what yeah. it's going to be like. Yeah. Nations are going to be coming in and drawn to him. Like it says in verse 11, he's going to continue to gather in his people, Israel, from the four corners of the earth. Something that he won't be doing in the new heavens and the new earth, and he certainly hasn't done yet. So, and that's just one passage for, you know, for the sake of time, we can't read all of them, but, yeah. you know, there's others. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25 talks about things that are going on in the millennium that aren't going to go on in the new heavens and the new earth. An infant, you know, is not going to die. You know, it is an infant. It's, a man's going to be considered young if he dies at the age of 100. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no death in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. So we know this is a future time that's not the final state. Yeah. But yet a time of such unprecedented peace that a hundred years old for death is young. Yeah. So big things are happening. Jesus is here and yet there's a continuity. Yeah. But it's all of it's characterized by peace. So that thousand year reign ends and then what, what happens after that thousand year reign? Hmm. First of all, before yeah. we before we answer that question, yeah, the question is why? Why what? Why the thousand year reign versus not having a thousand year reign? Yeah, why 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 is it necessary that Christ comes and is is actually present here on Earth? Why doesn't he just return and boom, everything explodes into peace? Because of the covenants. Okay. Because the covenants. Um, the covenant with Abraham requires it. Okay. Um, the prophetic history of Israel 
requires it. Yeah. Deuteronomy 30 is kind of the tale. So the Mosaic Covenant in its core form is given in the 10 words on, in On the Mountain to Moses, Exodus 20 through Exodus 24. Right, and he comes down with, the, with those instructions. But then it gets added to and enhanced through the rest of the the mm-hmm. Moses books, Leviticus, yeah. Numbers, Deuteronomy. And at the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 29, he describes the future of Israel. And says, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. You'll be cast to the nations, and the people are going to know these rebels turned against Yahweh. But then in Deuteronomy 30, it prophesies a return to a land with regeneration. It's new covenant language for the people of Israel. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Paul in Romans 11 talks about a time where a partial hardening has come up on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And when you look at the history of the church, it's vast majority Gentile. Yeah. Where there's some Jews coming, which is a partial hardening. It's not a full hardening. But there will come a day when in this way, all Israel will be brought in. Yeah. That, that, that fulfillment of the covenants for the land and the people and the global blessing is going to be brought to full fruition. There are literal promises to a literal people on a literal land. And that's why there has to be a millennium. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love Jesus's response to his disciples in Acts one, where they're like, Jesus is risen. They're walking around with him and they're, Hey, Hey Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus responds, he says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Yeah. Jesus isn't denying the fact that there's going to be an actual kingdom. He's just saying it's not happening right now. Right. Right. And they just got done talking about the kingdom for 40 days. Yeah. So these guys aren't confused on that fact. Yeah. They know full well it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. These aren't these aren't guys who who came away from forty days of seminary with Jesus after he raised from the dead, yeah. and and got you know a millennialism or whatever the case may be, you know, and you know, and I don't mean disrespect to sure. our brothers and sisters who sure. who are that. I recognize we actually have a minority position in the Reformed camp, um, and we hold that, and we need to hold that with humility. But we hold to the position we do simply because we can't, in good conscience, read the scripture in sure. the kind of figurative way or, or symbolic way that we would need to in order to come to those conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, the millennium takes place. Yeah. A thousand years. Day 1000 or year 1000 hits. And then what happens after that? Year one thousand. I'm actually kind of curious to know how that's going to work out. You know, because you know, for those who can count, it's going to be like the new year. New year's like it's time. Watch. There's uh, a countdown. I would lock the doors if I were you, because um, in about 20 minutes, (laughs) something's coming over that hill. It is not going to be good. But don't worry, it'll all work out. (laughs) There's a rebellion, right? Satan is released. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which is his prophet, (laughs) uh, who it says in Revelation 13, caused the world to worship him as Hmm. God, which is also what the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians does, Mm -hmm. what he does in Daniel 9. This is that guy, you know, they're in the lake of fire, tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's what happens. Satan is finally judged. That final rebellion is quashed immediately by Jesus. And then, and then it says that the heavens are rolled back, um, earth from his presence, earth and sky fled away. So this is the decreation language where it's like, there is nowhere to hide. The earth, the sea, the universe is giving up its dead, the wicked dead. This is the second resurrection that it talks about in Revelation 20, which is a resurrection of the wicked. Okay. Okay. And they're naked before God. They have nothing to hide them, no earth to conceal them. And they are judged by the wickedness that is recorded in the books, the book for them, Hmm. that they, that they, uh, their rebellions against God. They have not placed their faith in Christ, and that's the great white throne judgment. And it results in all of the unbelievers of all time being cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. So, so the those who are dead, um, the unrighteous, they get a they're getting a resurrected body. Yeah, r- to yeah. endure the hellfire. To endure judgment. Yeah, it's a body prepared for judgment. Interesting. It's a very heavy yeah. situation. Yeah. And and the, the thing about it is, you know, people who disagree with our understanding of how that works out say that that, that's, that is a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous physically, and that the first resurrection is, is simply referring to regeneration, hmm. right? Okay. And that the thousand years since that's the whole church age, yeah. it's, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, that's the first resurrection, and then you will have the final resurrection, yeah, because ours is the only position that I know of, um, besides historic premillennialism, that that takes the view that there's two resurrections separated by a thousand years. Yeah, but um, the language is pretty, I I believe, pretty compelling. In resurrection, in in the overwhelming majority of the cases, if not all of them, refers to a physical resurrection. Yeah. So if it wasn't a physical resurrection here, it would be like the time in scripture that it's not physical and we just don't have the reason to think that that's the case. So is this, is this a quick succession thing? The, the thousand year reign concludes, Satan comes back. I mean, is this happening in a couple minutes, couple hours? Is this, or is this, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine it would take some time to go out and get all the nations gathered. Okay. Because it talks about the deception of the nations. Yeah. Okay at least as long as it's going to take to get them deceived and then in battle ranks to come on the city. So it could be a while. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how long, Okay. but but it will be right on the heels at the end of the millennium. Hmm. And then as soon as that happens, the great white throne judgment's happening, the, the heavens and the earth, the cosmos is getting rolled up. There's that judgment. These are going to be some crazy scenes. And we're going to witness it in our, in our glorified state. Yeah. (laughs) I live in Moxie and 4th of July is (laughs) nuts. And that's going to be like, uh, no, I'm sorry. Did someone snap? Like I 
the fireworks are gonna be like nothing compared to that. Yeah. It's gonna be wild to think yeah. about. Hmm. So Millennium happens. Satan returns, gathers his minions, they go to battle against Christ, Christ squashes them, there's the judgment, and then eternity happens. Yeah. So there's I think there's a common misconception amongst evangelicals is once we die we're just in heaven for eternity. But we're we're not saying that at all. No, because the Bible doesn't say that at all. The heaven that we would go to today if we died is an intermediate heaven. Okay. It's not our final place, you know, because after that we're on earth for a thousand years and then there's a new heavens and a new earth. And we actually are dwelling on the new earth in the new Jerusalem with the Lord physically. That'd be cool. On the new earth. Yeah. And there's there's two main views and either of them could be correct. Um, we don't really have a, I don't believe a position on it. Um, that the new heavens, the new earth, is it is it a total, total dissolution of the old earth and a complete new creation out of nothing? Or is it a regeneration? And actually, Jesus in Matthew 19 calls it literally the regeneration. In the regeneration, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's re- referring to the eternal state. Yeah, yeah. And you could the, the case could be made both ways, that it's going to be a total dissolution by fire of everything, Second Peter 3, and then it's a brand new heavens and earth. Or, and this is the position I, I believe is probably the most accurate based on how Paul talks about the creation groaning for regeneration mm-hmm. and renewal in Romans 8. Jesus talking about the regeneration and the fact that in Second Peter 3, being purified by fire, the earth going through fire, it, in that same chapter it talks about there's a comparison with the flood of Noah's day. Well, and the earth didn't get obliterated in Noah's flood, but it did get purified. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a case to be made that, that it's going to be a, um, a glorification of the old heavens and earth in a way that's the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. The way that we're a new creation yeah. in Christ. Yeah. You know, but either way, whether it's totally brand new or a regeneration into its final form. It's going to be amazing. And yeah. Revelation 21 through 22 talks about it in the greatest detail of anywhere in Scripture. The end of Isaiah talks about it. Yeah. That'll be a good day. It will be a really good day. It'll be a good day. There's going to be a lot of crazy stuff happening until that day. But it'll be a good day. Yeah. In the end of our statement of faith, I love this. It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ... Um, well, I'll, I'll back up a sentence. So the new earth will have only righteousness dwelling in it. Following this, the heavenly city will come down out of heaven and will be the dwelling place of the saints where they will enjoy forever fellowship with God and one another. Our Lord Jesus Christ, having fulfilled his redemptive mission, will then deliver up the kingdom to God the Father. And in all spheres, the triune God may forever reign forever and ever. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) The understatement of forever. Like, yeah, it's good. (laughs) We need to actually keep thinking about these things. This is the hope. 
This yeah. is the hope we have yeah. and the assurance that we have. Sometimes my reactions to things are not satisfactory. Like on the day <laughs> on the day of our wedding, we were doing our, you know, first sight of of each other and Katie, you know, came and tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around not meaning how it sounded or how it came off, but I said, You look good. My what word. I but in my in my mind and in my heart I was saying you know, you look good. You look, <laughs> you look good. Um, and so she still gives me a hard time uh, for that response. <laughs> that response. Uh, so, Katie, I'm sorry for that response oh for the millionth time. But she's not. This is, she doesn't listen to. She these. doesn't. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. Ever, since, nice that, ever since that response, it's a nice gesture. She just doesn't talk to me. So. No, this is exciting stuff. It really is. It's exciting it's stuff. A great way to end our in-depth look at our statement of faith. Yeah. So I guess what would be your application points for for the study on on our statement of faith, Rick? Well, I'd say if if our eternal destiny is to know and glorify the Lord, then the the most appropriate things we could be doing right now are knowing and glorifying the Lord. Mm. Um, looking to the future things. Um, Paul says, encourage one another with these things in First Thessalonians 4.18. I'd say knowing the, the reality of what the unbelieving um, world will be facing mm-hmm. and the resurrection that they're heading for, well, we want to do our best to make sure that there's as, few, as few of the people we know as possible in the second resurrection. Mm-hmm. And yes, the number of the elect is by God's ordination and his decree. And nothing we do can change that. Mm. And yet he has ordained that by our witness, the participants in the first resurrection will be at the first resurrection. Mm. And so we have a direct role to play in what happens during the first, you know, during the rapture. And also um, those who come to faith during the tribulation are those who, who, who will be part of the first resurrection who have been martyred during the tribulation. But the point the point of all of it, uh, like Revelation was written in a time of great persecution um, under under Emperor, um, oh, is it not Diocletian? Diocletian. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, in the 90s is the majority view. Um, and it was written to encourage the church to hold on. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you when you're feeling discouraged because the darkness is encroaching, look ahead to the end. Remember where this whole thing's going. Yeah. And then st- hold on for a little longer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you for your thoughts and wisdom on end time stuff and all the other topics we discussed on our statement of faith. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for doing this whole podcast thing. No, oh, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> No, really. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> send in your questions. Send in your questions. Yeah. If you have any questions that you would like answered next week, maybe we could do a couple questions. That would be. What do you mean? Uh, well, if we get multiple questions. Well, I want a lot of questions. Well, okay. I want at least 10 questions. Rick wants questions. Um, so send them in. Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you next week on The Voice of the Valley with questions. With questions. Have a great day. <laughs>